series this month entitled Living Above Sea Level, S-E-E Level. And my text is 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Say it with me. For we walk by faith, not by sight. All right. Hope you've got that memorized by now. If you don't, uh, say it a few more times till it gets in your spirit. Because um, there is an unseen world, and it's very real. It's very real. It's just as real as the natural world you can see, maybe even more so. And uh, we, we want to be able to live by faith so we can commune with God and uh, walk in His way. While we can't see the future, He can and does and knows exactly what we need. Well, I want to give you this. Uh, I'm, I'm giving you keys to living above sea level this month. Last Sunday, I talked to you about uh, learning to rest. That's one key. Just learn to rest. Learn to rest in the Lord. And today, I want to talk to you about becoming a worshiper. Uh, if you want to live above sea level, become a worshiper. Become a worshiper. Uh, pray with me for a moment, if you will. Father, we thank you for this day, for this opportunity of worship. Holy Spirit, please come now, we pray, and do what we can't do in our own strength. Lord, I can only speak to the ears of this people, but you can speak to the hearts, and I pray that you will. We submit this service to you and pray for the perfect will of God to be accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Periodically, there arises an intense interest in angels. Have you ever noticed that? It kind of, go, kind of goes in cycles. Uh, you hear about it, and people get real interested in it, and then it kind of wanes, and then a few years later, it kind of come back again. And there are all sorts of books. If you want to study angels, you can find books galore. And they range from everything from a real good, strong biblical account and and uh, uh, like the book Dr. Billy Graham wrote several years ago entitled Angels. That's a good, great book if you want to read about angels. But it goes all the way across the gamut to the New Age stuff. And uh, there's, there's all kind of crazy stuff out there. Uh, some people believe that uh, they got a little angel on there. You've, you've seen those? They'll just stack, stick it on their uh, dashboard of their car, and they believe they got a little angel. Uh, that ain't nothing but a, a glorified bobblehead. And I, I, I don't want a bobblehead angel uh, looking after me. Uh, it's more than that. Oprah Winfrey believes that your departed loved ones are your angels, that they come back as angels. That's a false doctrine as well. Um, the human race and the angelic order are two different things, and your departed loved ones are not going to become angels. I'm sorry if that busts your bubble. I've, I apologize for that, but I want to tell you the truth. Your departed loved one is not your guardian angel. You have a guardian angel, but it's your, not your departed loved one. When we, when we depart this life, if we're in the Lord Jesus, we're going to have a glorified body. It's going to be like the body of Jesus, our elder brother, our King of kings and Lord of lords. In fact, we're going to be in a greater order than the angels. Amen? Don't try to bring me down to that state. I want to be like Jesus, not like some angel. Amen? But angels are important. They are created beings that, uh, in fact, God created angels long before he created the earth. And 
mankind and this whole order that we see today. So again, back to that unseen world, it's very real. Eons ago, we don't know how far back, we have no idea at what point God created angels, but he created a whole order of beings that are angels, the whole angelic host. And there are um, no telling how many millions of them. It's a very large, large host. What we know about angels from the scriptures is that there are at least three orders of angels that God created. And each one of these orders or sections of angels are overseen and led by a, a, a lead angel. We call them archangels. And uh, they are named in Scripture. And I'll give you the three that are named and the three orders that we know about. First of all, there is Michael. He is the warring angel. He is over the, the um, um, armament of heaven. He's over the uh, angels that war, that fight. He's over the, uh, that whole system. And he's identified by name. If you want to look these up, you can jot these down. I'm not going to read these scriptures, but he's identified in Daniel chapter 10, verses 13 and verse 21. And uh, identified by name, by the way. He's uh, the angel that prevailed against the prince of Persia when uh, Daniel was on that 21-day fast. How many of you Bible scholars remember that story in your Bible? Daniel was fasting for 21 days. He was seeking God specifically about some revelation, and uh, he couldn't seem to get his prayer through and didn't know what was going on. By the way, the, the, this angel that God sent uh, is identified again in, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. And, uh, and in, at the end of that 21-day fast, Daniel found out what was going on. What was actually hindering his prayer was the prince of Persia. Now, we believe that to be a demonic force that was over that region where Daniel lived, and he was hindering the prayer from being answered. So God sent Michael, the archangel, the warring angel, to fight with the prince of Persia, and he prevailed. He won and opened the door for the messenger to get through to Daniel, and God brought him his answer Finally, we see the, in Revelation chapter 12 and verses 7 to 9, John the Revelator saw a great war in heaven. There was a battle going on between Satan and his forces and uh, God and his forces. And Michael led the armies of heaven against Satan and won, praise God. How many of you are glad you're on the winning team? Yes, we're on the winning side. <laughs> Glory to God. Now, there's a second order of angels, and this order is led by an archangel by the name of Gabriel. He's probably more familiar to you than the others. He's mentioned in the New Testament more often than the others, and, and so maybe he's more familiar to you. He is the, leads the word-bearing angels, or the messengers of heaven. By the way, he was the one that was sent to bring Daniel his answer for his prayer when the prince of Persia hindered him. And God sent Michael to take care of that. As soon as Michael uh, won over the prince of Persia, Gabriel was able to get through with the message. He's mentioned by name in Daniel chapter 8, verse 16, and again in uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 21. He's also the messenger in Luke chapter 1, verse 19, that brought the message to Zechariah. 
about John the Baptist. He said, your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a child. I know you all are old, but God is going to revive you and renew your youth, and you're going to have a child, and you're going to name him John. And John was the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's mentioned again by name in the 26th verse of that same chapter when he came to a little olive-complected maiden by the name of Mary and said to Mary, the, God, the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you and you're going uh, to conceive the Son of God and you're going to bring forth a child. You're to name him Jesus. The great messenger brought that message to her. What a great word. You know, uh, you ever wonder why Zechariah, when he got the message from the same angel, God had to shut his mouth, um, but he didn't do that to Mary. You ever, has that ever, you ever noticed the difference between those two who received the message? Well, let me tell you why. John, if you remember, I'm sorry, Zechariah, if you remember, when Gabriel stood before him and gave him that message, he doubted. He said he started questioning. How can this be? What? What's you know? What's he just starts? <laughs> he doubted. So uh, he said, "Well, it's going to come to pass, but you're not going to be able to talk till after it's over with." In other words, I'm not going to let you speak doubt and unbelief. But when the same angel came to Mary, and by the way, to me, uh, the 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 message was much more shocking to Mary than it was to Zechariah. When he said to Mary, here's a young lady that has never known a man, and he says to her, you're going to have a baby, and you're going to call his name Jesus. But Mary did not speak doubt and unbelief. She said, be it unto me as you have said. She just accepted it. I, I, I wonder how many, how many of you uh, would be able to say the same thing if, if an angel were to appear to you and give you a message like that. Mary was a great woman of faith. Can somebody say amen? I mean, if she had faith to receive that and say, Lord, I'm not going to question it. I'm not going to doubt it. I don't understand it. But uh, you just be it unto me as, as you would have. So he's the, he's the word bearer, Gabriel. There's a third order of uh, angels. And it was led by an archangel by the name of Lucifer. Uh, the worship leader of heaven. He's identified in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. Ezekiel describes his beauty and his talent in chapter 28, verses 13 to 17. I'm going to read verses 13 to 15 for you. So follow along on the screen as I read this. He's talking about Lucifer now, the worship leader, the archangel over the worshipers in heaven. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, the diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and, and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Now let me back up here and say that um, the, the uh, um, 1611 King James says that they were pre prepared in you on the day that you were created. And uh, that's, a, that's a very important distinction here. Some of the later ones try to make it more um, palatable, I guess, to English. And sometimes they miss the true meaning. It's very important that you understand that they were prepared in you the day you were created. You were anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. 
You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. Let me tell you about Lucifer. He is the he is the choir leader of heaven. He is the worship leader of heaven. He's the musician of heaven. God made him and he was he was beautiful. In fact, he was so strikingly handsome that the scripture makes mention of it about his beauty. And uh, and and he he's, the Bible says that the instruments, the the tabards, as one translation puts it, timbrels here, and, and uh, it was created in him. In other words, when when Lucifer opened his mouth as he led the choir of heaven, he was able to give the the whole sound of music for them. The the, the all of it was in him. The 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 band, the the brass, the the uh, cymbals, the, the percussion, the, the uh, stringed instruments, all of it was in him. Now, you say, preacher, sounds like you're getting off into Star Trek or something here. No, stay with me for just a moment. We got, a, we got an instrument over here, a keyboard, and the keyboard player, typically when you hear it and see him playing, you hear a piano sound. But that's not the only sound that instrument can make. He's got a button over there he can push, and he, you can hear brass instruments when he's still play, just playing the notes, and you can hear. He can hit another, and you can hear the strings. You can hear it sound like a symphony orchestra. He's even got a button over there he can hit for percussion, and it, it'll, it'll keep him on beat as he plays the different. That That's something that man made. Listen, folks, is it too much of a stretch to believe that if man can make an instrument that could come out with all those sounds, that God who is the creator of the whole universe, could make in Gabriel, I mean in Lucifer, all of these sounds to be able to come forth. I don't think that's a stretch at all. That's not hard for me to believe at all. That he could just open his mouth and you got all of the instrumentation as the, as the choir of heaven sings together. Wonderful. But something happened with old Lucifer. Lucifer, because of his beauty and because of his talent, he got all puffed up. And he decided that uh, he shouldn't be number two in heaven. He should be number one. And let me tell you something, friend. When you think you're God, you have just made a sad mistake. You, you just blew it. You know, I hear sometimes about certain professions that tend to have God complexes. You ever heard that? You ever been in a courtroom and looked at a judge? Some of them have a God complex in their, in their courtroom. They, 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 and as uh, far as they're concerned, you know, <laughs> uh, some, some doctors have, a, have kind of a God complex. It's almost like they hold life and death in their hands. All of that's a mistake. Let me tell you, there's one God. Amen? And he don't bow and he don't step aside for anybody. Not even Lucifer, the son of the morning. The most beautiful cherub, the most beautiful angel, the most beautiful, the most talented creature that God made in the entire universe. When he got all puffed up and, and uh, talked a third of the angels into going up with him and said, let's just overthrow God, I believe I'll sit on the throne. Let me tell you what the scripture says. Uh, look at this. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? And then look what Jesus said about him. Jesus said in Luke 10 and 18, 
I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I mean, faster than a New York minute, God took care of the devil. Don't be afraid of the devil. Good time of living. God took care of him so fast, made his head swim. Amen. He was gone just like that. I mean, he was here one minute. Next minute, he was gone. He was gone. And all those angels that, that, that decided they'd be with him on his uh, little attempt to overthrow God. So if there are only three divisions, and that's all that we find in Scripture, there could be more, but we don't know about them if there is. I'm assuming that there are only three because that's all that God tells us about. And if they're evenly divided, then that means that when Lucifer fell, a third of the angels went with him. They become demonic spirits on this earth, and that's... That's, that's who they are. They're fallen angels. Now we got a problem. There is a vacancy in heaven. God's choir leader backslid. His uh, worship leader got kicked out. His worship leader split his church. God was a perfect pastor. Amen. But Satan split his church. But God wasn't upset for a minute. He's not been out of shape. He's not in trouble. He's, uh, his attendance is down, but his ties are still good. So he's, he's, he's not worrying about a thing. In fact, God could have, if he had chosen, spoken the word and created a whole other group of angels to replace the ones that, that fell. No problem for God. Now, the worship leader and the worshipers are gone. But there's still worship in heaven. Because the scripture says very clearly, it's in Psalms if you want to look it up, thy name shall never cease to be praised. God said that his name will be praised 24-7, 365 days a year, never ending, never ceasing, always has been since the first order he created and always will be. So what's going on in heaven? The warring angels are now worshiping before the throne. The word-bearing angels are worshiping before the throne. There's still worship. There's always going to be worship before the throne of God. But, but, but the, the, there's a vacancy of this, this worship group that was thrown out. So what's God going to do? Like I said, God could have just instantly created a whole nother order to replace them. But God had a better idea. Don't you love it? And here's God's idea. Let me take you to the book of Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. God said this, Let us make man in our image, according to our own likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Notice just two here. All these other things that they're coming up with that doesn't, doesn't fit. That's not what God made. Made male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This was God's replacement for the worshipers in heaven. Now look what God now has. 
God made man in his own image and likeness and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. He gave man a helpmeet and gave them procreation power. So now they can reproduce. So now God has the potential of a greater quantity of worshipers than he lost with Lucifer. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. Right now on this earth, there's about 8 billion people. Amen. I wish they were all worshiping God. They're not right now, but they will someday. Because there's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. That day's coming. So now God's got the potential of a greater quantity of worshipers than he had before. He also has the potential of a greater quality of worshipers than he had before. Because God also, when he made man in his likeness and image, he gave man the power of reason and the power to choose. Those angels that worship, worship because they were commanded to worship. That's what they were made to do, and that's what they did, because that's what they were told to do. You and I are made with free will. We have the power to choose. When you got up this morning, you made a decision to get ready to come to church. You made a choice to take this time out of your day to come into the house of the Lord. So I want to tell you a while ago, while you were singing and worshiping and praising the Lord, you were giving to God a greater quality of worship than Lucifer and all those angels were able to give him because you did it out of your own volition and out of your own choice, your power of reason. You chose to worship God. Oh, give him a great big praise this morning. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, I want to tell you something. When you worship God, you make the enemy upset. He does not like to hear you worship. He hates it. He despises it. It's what he lost. And so he sets himself against mankind to hinder our worship. He, his whole desire is to stop our worship. He already knows he can't defeat God. He don't have a chance. He knows that. Jesus said, I saw him like lightning. Boy, that's fast. He's gone. He don't have a chance. The only way that Satan can hurt the heart of God is to get at his children. That's you and me. And if he can stop us from our worship, he stops us from the very purpose for which God created us. And I'll deal with that in just a minute. Let me show you the pattern of Satan from the beginning, from the first family. You know that temptation in the, in the Garden of Eden when Satan came to Adam and Eve and tempted them to eat of the forbidden fruit? You know what the, all that was about? It was about worship. Yes, it was. It really was. Now, Satan wasn't dumb enough to think that he could convince them to quit worshiping God and worship him. So what he did, he began to tempt them to get prideful like he did. And he said to them, oh, he said, God's holding back on you. If you just, if you just go ahead and eat of that, he, he told you it's knowledge of good and evil. If you just go ahead and eat of that, your eyes would be open. You'd be like gods. He's after their worship. He's trying to get them not to worship God, but to worship themselves. It's all about worship. Look at the very first murder that was committed on earth. Cain killed his brother Abel. You know what that was about? 
It was about worship. Read it in Genesis chapter 4. The two men brought an offering to God. God chose to accept the offering of Abel more than Cain because Abel followed the biblical pattern that God had given them for their worship. He came with true worship. Cain threw together a few things from his garden and said, here's an offering. God said, I, I don't accept that. Let, let me tell you something, folks. God is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You, you can't play around straddle the fence. If you're going to serve God, serve him. If you're not, you, you, you don't, 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 don't try that. It's a miserable life to live. But Satan was about destroying worship. So he talked to Adam, got him angry, got him jealous, got him in a rage. And so he killed his brother Abel, stopped his worship. That's what the first murder was all about. Every temptation... You can follow it all the way down. I refer to this as the second Adam. Jesus came years later, thousands of years later, to this earth as the second Adam. The scripture refers to him as that on some occasions. And he lived a perfect life. But you remember in Matthew chapter 4 that Satan, after Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, Satan came and tempted him. You know what that temptation was about? It was about worship. Look, look, out, look how it wound up. The final thing he said to him, if you, I'll just give you everything that you can see. I'll give you everything that I've gained dominion over. Everything that I won from Adam when I, when I deceived him and took from him. Everything, I'll give it all to you if you'll just fall down and worship me. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't do that? Amen? It's all about worship. And can I say, finally... That when Satan tempts you, it's ultimately about your worship. That's what he's after. When he's tempting you and trying you and testing you and fighting you and all those things that he does. It's all about worship. He's trying to get your worship away from God. He hates that, despises that. You know why it's so difficult to get up and get to church on Sunday morning? He wants your worship. You know why if your baby's ever going to throw up, he's going to throw up when you just get him all fixed up and ready to go out the door to church? If he's going to spike a fever, it's going to be on Sunday morning at church time. He's, he wants your worship. You know why he causes strife among the brothers and sisters and gets us in contention with one another? He's after our worship. Do you know why he fights your finances? He's after your worship. Do you know why he fights your health? He's after your worship. Do you know why he battles your mind? He's after your worship, everything that he does. You know why he wants your children? He wants to get you so discouraged you'll quit worshiping God. And he wants to hinder the next generation from worshiping God. Thank God we got some young people right up here on the front that worship the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. And you say, well, preacher, what's the big deal about worship? I'm going to give you three things quickly. Number one. Worship is your purpose. It's your purpose. That's why God created you. And folks, everything functions best when it's fulfilling its purpose. God made the birds to fly in the air. God made the fish to swim in the water. But you take the fish out of the water and they're miserable. You take the bird out of the air and put him in the water, he's miserable. Because they're not fulfilling their purpose. And I want to tell you why there's so many people today that are miserable, because they're not fulfilling their purpose. You will never find a place of more satisfaction and more contentment in your life 
than when you become a worshiper and you worship God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You just love Him above everything else in this world and you worship Him and honor Him. You will find a place of contentment, a place of joy, a place of the power of the presence of God that will fill your life like nothing else you can do. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, become a worshiper. Amen. Secondly, worship always gets God's attention. Always. Always. Look at it through the Bible. In fact, let me take you just on a little quick journey. I'll just hit a few scriptures right here in the book of Matthew. I'll start at about chapter 8. Look what it says in the first three verses. When he came down from the mountain, talking about Jesus, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him. Say worship. Worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand, touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Isn't it wonderful? Next chapter, chapter 9 of Matthew, verse 18. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her, she'll live. That was Jairus' daughter, a little 12-year-old girl. You know what happened? Jesus went to Jairus' house and raised that little girl from the dead. Jairus came to the Lord and just worshipped him, got the Lord's attention, took him on a journey. Even though he got slowed down by the woman with the issue of blood, he still made it to his house. And even though all the mourners were there crying and mourning, and when Jesus said, she's not dead, she's just sleeping, they laughed him to scorn. (laughs) They said, we've checked her out. There's no pulse. It's been so long, rigor mortis already set in. She's dead. She's stiff as a board. What are you talking about? Jesus said, get out of here took the mother and daddy and Peter, James, and John, walked in, laid his hands on a little girl and said, Talitha Kuma. And she got up. Glory to God. Raised her from the dead. And he got his attention by just worshiping the Lord. Now here's a passage that for many years bothered me. I'm going to read it to you from Matthew chapter 15. I'll show you what bothered me. Beginning at verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Cana came from the region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. that's That's the phrase right there, verse 23. But he answered her not a word. That bothered me for years because it's so out of character for our Lord Jesus. I mean, I just read to you a couple other instances. I mean, even if, if, if I'd have took time to go into that scripture with the woman with the issue of blood, she stopped him on her, got his attention. She was worshiping the Lord. This woman is crying out in sincere prayer. She's got a serious problem. She's begging the Lord Jesus for help. And he doesn't even pay her any attention. He won't even give her the time of day. That bothered me for a long time. Let me keep reading. 
He answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, follow me in the incident. Now, I want you to get a picture of this. I want you to see it in your mind. Jesus is ministering to the people. And this woman cries out, oh, God, help me. Lord, help me. She's crying. She's praying. She's pleading. said, I've got a need. I've got a demon-possessed daughter. Well, Jesus has cast out devils before. I mean, good time of living. Look what he did to the maniac of Gadara. He had so many demons in him that they cried out and said, we're legion. We're many multitudes. When they were cast out, they ran in took 2,000 pigs down a cliff and drowned them in the water. Powerful amount of demons. Jesus took care of them with no problem. Why won't, he won't even talk to this woman. Not only does he not talk to this woman, but then the disciples come to him and interrupt him while he's still ministering. He comes to him and says, Jesus, that woman that you've been ignoring She's quit bothering you now. She's over here bothering us. Would you please send her home? If you're not going to do anything, would you at least get her out of here? Because we can't even minister. We can't do anything. She's bothering us. Jesus told his disciples, said, you, you know I'm sent right now to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, the beginning of my ministry is to the Jewish nation. I've come to the Jews. I've come to my own now, his own's going to reject him later, and then, then our age comes in. She is asking for something dispensationally that is ahead of her time. And so God, in other words, what Jesus said to his disciples, you know, I, you know who I'm ministering to, take care of it. You should have already taken care of it. So the disciples go back to this woman and said, look, you, you're just going to, you can't disturb the service. Jesus is trying to minister, and you're going to have to be quiet. So you, you, you either sit down and shut up or you leave. You've got to get out of here. We're not going to tolerate this. Now, if you just read through this, you'll miss it. But you've got to realize what happened. I believe that that woman who had been crying and praying and begging Jesus for help, I believe she went over and sat down and just observed his ministry for a while. A leper comes and worships Jesus, gets, her, gets his healing. Amen. A lame man comes and worships Jesus, gets his healing. A deaf man comes and worships Jesus, gets his healing. Blind man comes, they bring him to Jesus, and he worships Jesus, gets his healing. In fact, he said some of the same. <laughs> Old Bartimaeus said some of the same things that this woman said. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Well, that's what she's praying, same thing. And so she sits there and watches. And after a while, she gets it. A little light goes on in her mind. Because then the Bible says, verse 25, Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Guess what he did? He answered her. She didn't like his answer, but she got an answer. I'm telling you, worship always gets his attention. She couldn't get his attention crying. She couldn't get his attention begging. 
She couldn't get his attention praying. She got his attention worshiping. Here's what he said to her. Basically, he's saying the same thing he told his disciples. In other words, it's not the Gentiles' times yet. She was a Gentile. He said, he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. In other words, you're asking me to give you some bread that right now it belongs to God sent me. I'm, I'm on this earth. I've come to my own. First of all, I'm, I'm, it's, it's the children's bread. And you're asking me to take that and give it to a Gentile. And he used a term that the that, that Jews use to refer to Gentiles. And he said to give it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Do you realize that that Gentile woman was able to reach into the dispensation of the Gentiles before her time and pull the miracle of God into her time for that moment in that day and got her answer simply because she learned to worship the Lord. Worship always gets his attention. He will not ignore your worship regardless of your circumstance, regardless of your problem, regardless of what you're going through. If you'll worship him, you got his attention. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. I feel like David when he said, I feel like I could run through a troop and jump over a wall. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Mm, mm, mm. Third thing. Worship releases angels to fight for you. Worship. Remember I said a while ago there's worship in heaven. Even though Lucifer's not there. The warring angels. Michael and that crowd. They're worshiping. Gabriel and that crowd. They're worshiping. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and I don't have time to take a, a lot to expand on this. I'll just hit the highlights. Jehoshaphat was king. And three armies, Ammon, Moab, and Syria, had confederated together against God's people. And three armies, each one of them bigger than Jehoshaphat's army, they surrounded and boxed them in where they had no way of escape. It was a military tactic of that day. You surround your enemies, starve them out. They have to surrender. And that's the position that they were in right then. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat goes straight to the Lord, and he said, God, we're in a mess. we got three armies surrounding us. We are no match for them. We can't defeat them militarily. And he said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love Jehoshaphat's look, don't you? He's looking up. He's saying, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Glory to God. It's when Simon Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, started looking down, that he started sinking. Some of you just need to get an upward look. You're looking the wrong way. You're looking down, discouraged. You're looking down, defeated. You're looking around at your circumstances and all you can see is hopelessness. Look up! That's what Jehoshaphat did. Jehoshaphat looked up and he said, Lord, our eyes are on you. God said, all right, I'm going to give you a plan. 
he said, get the choir together. Get all the musicians and the singers and the worshipers and put them out in the front of the army. Get the troops ready to march, but put the worshipers in front and get them worshiping. Lord, let get, get the engine rolling. Crank it up and get it going. And you just start worshiping. And when you get to really worshiping me, you give the, you give the marching orders to forward march. And so they worshiped and worshiped until they really got in a spirit of worship. And Jehoshaphat gave the command and they started marching forward. And when they did, God heard their worship. God looked over at Michael and he said, Michael, you guys can take a break. I like that worship I'm hearing down there from Jehoshaphat and his gang. Why don't you take a, a few angels down there and fight that battle for them? And so while they're worshiping God, surrounded, outnumbered, from all prospects defeated, God sends the warring angels to fight for them. And they defeat the whole crew. In fact, they just wipe them out. Glory to God. It took them three days to gather up the spoils from where the angels had defeated them. Man, they, they, came, out, they came out not only victorious, they came out miraculously blessed. I'm telling you, prosperous from that battle. The angels of God took care of. What I'm telling you this morning, church, is if you will worship, that's what you're supposed to be doing. If you'll fill your place in the heavenlies, the place that belongs to us, God created us for, if you'll worship, God will release those warring angels to fight your battles. I don't know about you, but I'd a whole lot rather worship than I would to fight. Amen. Especially if God will send angels to fight for me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm going to close. But I, I, want, I want to tell you that I believe, I believe, and I could sit here for literally, and I, I don't believe I'm exaggerating here at all, I could literally sit here for the next hour and tell you time after time in my own life and with my, in my own experience where God has taught me that I can worship Him, I can praise Him to victory. And I believe, I have come to this conclusion at this place in my life, that you can praise your way through anything. Anything. I believe it. I, I've shared this with you many times in this pulpit, but it's a part of our history. It's part of our fabric as, as a church. And I think we need to be reminded of it periodically. So I'm going to tell you one more time. Way back in 1989, the Lord spoke to me one morning about inviting Pastor Mark Wallace and the New Hope Christian Center to unite with the Crawford Avenue Church of God. I did, and he was open to that, and I've told you the details behind that, but it was, it, it was, it was a God thing, no question about it. So we started our plans to try to merge these two churches together, and I couldn't find any information on how to merge churches. I found a lot about splitting them, but I couldn't find much about merging them. And, and I knew what God was doing. It, it, we had to have direction from God because our churches were, our congregations were so different. They couldn't, 
It's like mixing oil and water. We were a, what we would term a classical Pentecostal church, and they were a, a charismatic congregation. And I don't know what your concept of charismatic is. There's a lot of different. I'm not against charismatics at all. Wonderful charismatic. The charismatic renewal was a great move of God. There's no question about that. But these charismatics were off-the-wall charismatics. It was a young congregation. And I mean, just about everybody had a tambourine with streamers. I mean, they were, they were charismatic. And we were Pentecostal. And so I didn't know what to do. And I, I prayed about it. And the Lord spoke to my spirit one morning. He said, if you'll give me the first four hours of your day for 30 days, I'll show you how to put together these two congregations. And so I set my alarm clock for midnight for 30 days. I got up at midnight, and from midnight to 4 a.m., I just stayed before the Lord, prayed and sought His presence and listened to what He had to say. And during those 30 days, God gave me a five-year plan of merging these churches together into one congregation. And um, I knew it was God. I, he, he showed me it was, it was just so clear that I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that it was God. And so we, we stepped forward. I met with the little charismatic congregation and talked to them about uniting with us. And to my absolute amazement, when we voted, they voted 100% to unite. I went to Crawford Avenue. We had our conference there, and we were running about 300 at the time, and we took a vote there, and there were only eight votes against it. And I thought, my goodness, this is wonderful. Um, it, 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 it just seemed like everything's turning up roses. Everything's going to go smooth. God has already moved, and, and, and we did. We, we put all the things together. We got the attorneys together, properties. and They needed our strength from our finances. We were debt-free, and uh, they owed a lot. Uh, so we accepted their, they, uh, their we took their uh, liabilities, and they took our assets, and we became one church together. And uh, everything seemed to be good until the end of the first month. I look at the financial statement, and we were $8,000 in the red. And we had never had red ink since I had been there. I, I just, I didn't know what to do with that. The second month after the merger, we were $16,000 in the red. The third month out of the merger, we, after the merger, we were $24,000 in the red. And I'm, I'm starting to almost panic. And I'm crying out to God. And I know I can't panic. That's not faith. That's, that's fear. And so I had to come against fear and I'm praying, and I was preaching a series of sermons at that time on praise. I was telling our congregation every Sunday, boy, you need to learn to praise God. You can praise your way through your victory, your battles, and all this stuff. I was preaching that. And we have one of our Sunday night services together with the two congregations. We continued to operate at two locations for a long time, and we had our Sunday night services together occasionally once a month. And uh, and one of the one of the men that voted against the merger, he said real loud so the young folks from the New Hope congregation could hear it. They said, bless God, these preachers have got themselves in a mess they can't praise their way out of now. 
And um, the next morning I was getting ready to go to the office. I, I could take you to the very spot. I could show you right where I was standing. I was looking in the mirror, shaving my face, crying. Couldn't hardly hold back the tears. Couldn't hardly shave for, for crying, weeping. I'm crying out to God. I'm saying, God, what's going on? I didn't, I didn't see this. I know this was your will. Those 30 days, I, you made yourself plain and clear that we're doing the right thing. I know this is the right thing to do. What am I going to do? The overseer's not going to let me stay here and bankrupt this church. We're going down the tubes, Lord. What am I going to do? And I heard this guy say, bless God, they've got themselves in a mess they can't praise their way out of now. And just like a light, a flash of lightning, the Holy Spirit spoke to my spirit and said, why don't you try and see if you can praise your way through? And I mean, ideas just started coming just fast as I could grab some paper and start writing them down. So I announced to the congregation the next Sunday, one month from now, we're going to have a weekend of praise. We're just going to worship God all weekend long. Set up the time. I also announced to him, I said, I want you to start praying about your offering. I want you to bring a worship offering to the Lord above your regular tithes and offering, a, an offering. And I'm not asking you to sacrifice for this. I'm asking you to ask God to supernaturally give you what he wants you to have. I could sit here and give you testimonies this morning of people who, who miraculously receive money for that offering. I'll give you one example. And this happened with two different people. Um, one, one, young, one lady in our church that was known to be very, very specific in all of her detail work and was good at finances. And, I mean, she kept her checkbook balanced. The bank called her and said, uh, we got a problem with your account. And she said, what is it? And they said, well, there's an extra $500 here, and we don't understand. Uh, we can't figure out how it got there, what it's from, but miscalculation on our part, your part, or whatever. But anyway... We, we've, just, uh, we've just credited your account with $500. That happened to two different people. Two different people. Couldn't explain it. She said, I know my checkbook's balanced. I know that's not my money. They said, well, if, if we get audited, it shows up in, in our records that it, it's there and it's, it's yours. So she gave that $500 that morning. And uh, by the way, we, we, set, we set the weekend up for a Friday night, all-night praise service. How many of you ever been in an all-night prayer meeting? Yeah, several of you have. Here's my experience. It may correspond with yours. When, you, when you're in an all-night prayer meeting, about 4 o'clock in the morning, it gets tough. You've been praying all night long, and you're fighting sleep, and you're trying to pray, and, and man, you're just battling about 4 or 5 o'clock. Let me tell you, the opposite happened in that praise gathering. We met at our west location on Wheeler Road at 6 o'clock on Friday evening. We started praising God, and we praised God all night long. I'd have one of the staff members to come to the pulpit every hour, and they would direct us. They'd read Scripture and direct our praise for the next hour. And then we would praise God. And, and, and the longer we praised Him, the sweeter His presence became. I'm telling you, 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, it was like we were in liquid honey. I mean, it was just the presence of God was so real. It was just, it was almost tangible. You could almost 
touch it. You could almost taste it. The presence of God so strong. At 6 o'clock, we moved to both congregations to Crawford Avenue and continued to praise and worship. And we praised and worshiped till 6 o'clock that night. And at 6 o'clock that night, it exploded. I mean, heaven came down and glory filled our soul. People were shouting, rejoicing, dancing in the Spirit, worshiping God, crying, shouting, you name it. Every manifestation you could just about think of. We, it just exploded with praise. And that Sunday morning, our offering above the regular tithes and offering was $20,000. And we came out of the red into the black, and by the end of that month, we, it, we, we were sailing this way. And we went from a $300,000 a year budget all the way to a million dollar a budget in five years. God just kept blessing and blessing and blessing and blessing and blessing. I'm here to tell you this morning, church, you can praise your way through anything. You can praise your way through anything. If you'll praise God, God will fight your battles. If you'll praise God, God will supply your need. If you'll praise God... You can win the victory. Stand with me, please. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Woo, glory. Hallelujah. You want to live above sea level? Become a worshiper. Become a worshiper. Learn to worship God. Learn to worship God. I found out a long time ago, sometimes your crying don't seem to get his attention. Sometimes your pleading and begging doesn't seem to get his attention. But your worship will always, always get his attention. He'll respond to you if you'll worship. He'll respond to you if you'll worship. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're going to sing some worship here. I know I've run over my time, and I apologize. When I get on, when I when I get on this, very seriously now, I want to ask you: How many of you are standing here today, dealing with stuff that you're having a hard time with? You need a breakthrough. You need a breakthrough. You may just be one praise away from that breakthrough. But if you're standing here this morning and you need a breakthrough, I want you to come down here. We're going to worship together. Don't you just, just come. Whatever area, it may be your finances, it may be your health, it may be your, it, it may be your family. I don't know what it is, but you say, preacher, I need, I need a breakthrough this morning. I, I need a breakthrough. I want you to start in here. I want you to start with worship this morning. On your way to your breakthrough.